Hello, everyone, and welcome to Intersect, where church meets culture. My name is Josh Desch. I'm the lead pastor here at Northeast Presbyterian Church in Columbia, South Carolina, and I am joined, as always, by my wife, the joyful Betsy. Betsy, how are you today? Feeling joyful. Wonderful, wonderful. (laughs) And it is our distinct honor and privilege to have back on the podcast our friend and the pastor of First Northeast Baptist, our sister church here in Columbia, South Carolina, Pastor Stephen Splawn. Pastor Stephen, thank you for being with us again. It's a joy to be here, Pastor Dash, and with you too, Betsy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. We had a a, uh, quite a enlightening and profound uh, conversation with Pastor Stephen on an earlier episode, and on this episode, we want to tackle another uh, very important topic related to the question of racial unity among believers. Here is the title for today's episode. How can black and white Christians model unity in divided America? Let me read it again. How can black and white Christians model unity in divided America? We are certainly seeing division in our country today. I don't think that's a controversial statement to say that. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, someone might respond with, there has always been division in the United States of America and probably every country. And that would be a true statement, I'm sure. I think the question would be, uh, to what level is the division present? And where is the division present? And we want to have a conversation today about how we are doing as a church in terms of our witness to the world. So there is... um, there's one thing in terms of us judging our own house as believers. And, uh, you know, we need to be aware of, of the state of our own, our own house, the state of our own soul, the state of our churches. How, are our, how is our church family doing? Uh, how are we doing in terms of our faithfulness and our commitment to Christ and His kingdom? But then there is this additional question of what is the world seeing when the world looks at the church? Now, I will say that there's a degree to which we, we cannot fully control what the world uh, sees or determines when the world sees the church. Uh, we know the Lord Jesus told us that in this life we would face many troubles, but behold, he has overcome the world. Uh, but uh, with Pastor Stephen today, we wanted to jump into this topic. And Pastor, let me begin by asking you this question, how is the church doing and, and really here, I think we have the American church in mind. How is the American church doing in terms of displaying racial unity to the world as a witness to the truth and power of the gospel? I'll begin by just sharing a um, very direct experience, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Please. Uh, a couple of years ago, I went on a mission trip to Taiwan to go to three cities to serve three different pastors in three different churches and work with their leadership and their congregation on what does it mean to make disciples? How does it work practically in the church? And where do we see Jesus doing it in the Bible, right? Sounds like easy, but again, we in America don't do it well either. So, uh, but I was called to go there and do this work. The missionary in that uh, region who worked for our convention Uh, he pulled me to the side and said, I need to have a conversation with you. I said, oh, okay. I'm thinking I'm leading the team. I'm thinking it's regarding safety for our guys and what we need to travel with. And he says to me, "Um, 
I am, I am extremely troubled to have to say this, but I pray deeply on whether or not we should have this discussion. But I believe that you will face racism more harsh in that nation than even here. And I looked at him and I said, say that one more time. I think I missed it. <laughs> and he said, because the Chinese and the Taiwanese culture there um, want to have the approval of the white man, and namely Americans and European cultures, that they endorse their racist values and ideas so much so that when black Americans, the few that come, they exposit the same thoughts and ideals that's being displayed by them here so that they get their approval and they don't catch what you catch in regards to their prejudice. Hmm. And he said, it's, it might not be physical, it might not be overt because we're always going to be with you, but I didn't want you to be ignorant. Hmm. I wanted you to be aware. And I needed to walk to my office and pray to process this. Because it's one thing to be in the middle of it in the South of America, okay? I grew up here. I know my hot water, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. but I don't want to go to somebody else's hot water, all right? <laughs> I mean, I've traveled in many places around the world. I understand. You know, things are different. Colorism is a real impact from the racism in America. But these were believers in the country that he was warning me about. And that was hard. Mm -hmm. So the question is, how is the church doing on displaying it? Just turn your TV on. Just watch any other podcast person. <laughs> right? You can yeah. see that it's, it's not going exceedingly well. Mm. Very much so in the fact that there are people who are like yourselves who want to investigate and want to understand and want to see, there are places where there are churches um, who are fighting to make this a reality of what Paul explained when he was talking about the purpose of the mystery of God in Ephesians 3. And if you don't mind me reading it, I'd love to read this text of Scripture because mm -hmm, it's so plain please. what Paul is saying because he's addressing the Jewish mind on the uh, devaluing of the Gentile and Paul then talks about, hey, let me reveal a mystery to you. Watch this. Ephesians 3, verse 8, it says this. Paul's talking. He says, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship or stewardship, some translations would say, of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus. Verse 10 is the ticket. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. We see that principalities and powers show up again in chapter 6 when the armor of God is talked about, right? Talking about the evil ones saying we are fighting against them. But mm -hmm. here he's talking about the manifold wisdom of God might be on display, right? That word manifold, polypolocus, used one time in the whole New Testament, literally is translated multicolored. Mm -hmm. 
He said the mystery is that God is wanting his multicolored wisdom on display so that the principalities and powers will be shamed. And yet we think that separating is acceptable. A bouquet is not a bouquet if it's all the same color. Yet somehow we think that homogenizing our churches is glorifying God. Do you see, Pastor, um, and, and you have mentioned that you have seen um, some, some churches and perhaps some movements, uh, but are you seeing those who, who are setting an example for us uh, in this area? You know, there are some who will try to claim that's what's happening. But true mosaic nature of bringing together not just different races, um, but socioeconomic class mm-hmm. and difference mm-hmm. of backgrounds and cultures. This is so important. Diversity and embracing of those cultures will display that. But what happens is we get comfortable with those who are most like us. Mm-hmm. Jesus was human like us, but that was just about it. (laughs) (laughs) Fully God, yet Mm -hmm. fully man. Mm -hmm. Think about how many times he says, oh, this generation. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I mean, I can just feel the weight of those words as Jesus is looking like, how long must I bear with you? (laughs) You know? That's right. But he said, you know what? I'm going to step out of glory. Step down into this basement called earth. Mm with all this nasty, filthy, dirty sin that you all collected, I haven't spoken to you all in 400 years, but I'm gonna show up on the scene, send my herald John the Baptist, and I'm gonna tell you about yourself, and you're not gonna like it. Mm. So the ones who are here who are trying, I mean, I know of some pastors here who are working to have this conversation. I've had this conversation even on different podcasts or video interviews with other pastors here, and it's been good to talk but we have to move past conversation um, to realization. Mm. We need to come from just the pieces to the practical. Mm. And we have to be able to say, okay, I understand these things, but wisdom, wisdom is application, mm. right? Uh, knowing things doesn't make you wise. Understanding them doesn't make you wise. Doing them makes you wise. Mm. And so... Um, I know we at First Northeast, you know, we're, we're not perfect either, right? We are working in the direction of seeing a day when we're all one family, mm. right? We're working towards that too. Um, but then again, you got to remember in our culture, a lot of things are responses to the history of our nation. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, so much to think about there uh, for us in terms of what the world is seeing. We know the world is watching Christians. Uh, we, we know that the world certainly has a lot of stereotypes about us. Some are perhaps accurate, some are not, right? Some are certainly not. But I would just wonder, especially in a world where truth is increasingly a negotiable thing. <laughs> There's my truth, there's this perspective, there's that perspective, and in so many ways to say you're a sinner to a person now, therefore you are in need of a savior, now let me explain the gospel, is even a nonsensical statement to a person. 
who does not accept that they're a sinner. And as we've said on this podcast is uh, before, is in so many ways finding their identity in sort of expressing themselves in a way that is, this is my truth, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. And I say this to connect this to um, how powerful our witness could be in the world uh, to say, look at Christians, look, look, they have been able to, um, to come together in a way that we see so lacking among those around us. It's, and, and that's the ticket, right? Uh, you don't see the Panther Stadium divided in mm. pockets mm. based on color. Mm. You don't see the Steelers Stadium or the Falcons Stadium divided based on color. I mean, the team is mostly brown people. But other than that, you know, they still <laughs> yeah. aren't divided based on color, yeah. right? Yet they unify around a sports team, but they think we're supposed to segregate based on faith. Mm. I, I, I think we have gotten it wrong mm. and so wrong that it's harmed our ability to say that we're right. Mm. Because, again, when you compromise something so important, people begin to question your intellect. They question your integrity, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but they also question your identity. You say that you belong to God, and God says do this, but you don't. Do you really belong to him? What does Jesus say in John 15, John 14, 15? He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, he just commanded him, chapter 13. He said, I'm telling you, the world will know you by how you love one another. Mm-hmm. I just, it just uh, it baffles me more often than not that people who say that they have been redeemed by the king, that they've crossed over from being sinner to saint, and they think they're done. That's not how it works. You cross over from sinner to saint, but you automatically are adopted into a family. And when you're adopted into the family, you're not the first kid or the only kid. Mm -hmm. You go from sinner to saint to sibling. Mm -hmm. And you don't get to pick your family in the physical world or the spiritual world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So if you say you're a follower of God, a child of the king, you belong to him, then that makes you my sibling. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Amen. I have actually heard uh, Christians say this. I've actually even read it one time in a book I read where uh, a, a person argued, they said, you know, uh, we have our different differences here in this life, uh, different cultures, different countries, uh, and those sorts of things, uh, certainly different denominations. And and they, I have read the argument of, well, can't we just wait until we get to heaven to experience <laughs> diversity? Because uh, there, there is the description, of course, in the book of Revelation, and we know it well, Revelation 7, I believe every tribe, tongue, and nation is gathered around the throne. You know, well, can I live out my Christian faith? And then when I get to heaven and God works everything out, at that point I can experience the diversity of the kingdom of God. Uh, I'll read it for you. That'll help us. Because I think that this is going to be so key. Because in Revelation 7, before you get to verse 9, you have John, the apostle, the disciple whom Jesus loved, writing out each tribe that he's seeing. 
But then he says, after these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand. Listen to verse 10. This is this is powerful and crying out with a loud voice saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. When they're crying out, they're saying the same language. Mm. Now, this is every tongue, every nation, every tribe. They're talking together and they're unified on one thing, the person on the throne. Mm. That's the unifying factor. Saying that I can wait, meaning you're not trying to seek his kingdom here. You want your kingdom here, which means you haven't put him on the throne yet in your heart. Mm. And that's a heart problem. And that could also identify you. Because if you're trying to build your kingdom and use God to get it, well, he's not going to justify that. Hmm. And even more importantly, when John the Baptist, I'm, I'm referring back to Luke chapter 3 again and in verses 17 and 18 when he says, hey, there's one coming who's going to baptize you with fire and the winnowing fan, a winnowing fork is in his hand. And, 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 that, and that device that he's talking about would literally pick up the the the, the what grew in the harvest, and it would divide the chaff from the wheat grains and kernels that were useful. The useless would fall. The useful would be kept in this fork. And God is going to sift those who said, oh, I belong in here. Just just keep it all separate. Because <laughs> your heart is not after each one. God wants everyone. And when you think you can pick, you think you're God. Hmm. Who are you really worshiping? Hmm. Who do you really value? If I can look someone in the face and say to them, I don't accept you because of how you look, because of how you speak, because of what you own, because of where you're from, because of who your parents are, because you don't like the sports team that I like, or you don't like the style of music that I listen to, or you don't like to wear what I wear to worship, and I don't accept you, and so you can't worship the one God that we supposed to have in common, I've messed up. Hmm. And I've identified myself as thinking I can pick my preference over his purpose, mm. especially as a minister of the gospel. Mm. We're called to do it unto all people mm-hmm. to share with all. And the gospel's offensive already. Yeah. You're telling someone you've done wrong all your life and it costs somebody their life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. offensive. And if, yeah. they're, and if they don't come from a family of believers, you're telling them that every person that died before them that didn't believe, they're in hell today. But you can have joy in Jesus and you can go to a different place than them. Mm. Mm. That's offensive. Mm. You think that telling someone, hey, your skin tone's different, so you you can't hear this? You can't be here with us? Separate but equal is sinful. Mm. Yeah, and it almost makes me think, I just thought about this now, you know, can we imagine if a believer went to the fruit of the Spirit and said, I'll wait for that one until heaven? So, you know, love, well, I'll have perfect love in heaven. Mm. So I'm just going to work on the peace thing here on earth. Mm. And Mm. then gentleness, uh, I'll be gentle in heaven, Mm. but I'm not going to work on that one here on earth. I'd argue to say, bro, they might not make it. Mm. (laughs) Because let me tell you, the problem is today there are a lot of Americans who claim to know Jesus who are going to be shocked when they actually see his mm, slightly brown face. Mm. (laughs) Mm. Because you got to think about it this way. 
Look at the context of the text and geographically where it's taking place. Mm -hmm. Sorry, that's the Middle East. <laughs> it's not Europe. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of brown people. <laughs> and don't assume that those Romans that were sitting there were all Anglo too. And we have to be careful what we've allowed to be conditioned in our minds. But we do some things sometimes and just go, yep, that's right, because that makes me feel good. Hmm. Hmm. So if you say, I'll just wait till then, you might be surprised when he says, Matthew 7, 23, just standing in front of his face. You really want to look at Jesus and say to him, I didn't make one disciple. I didn't lead one person to you. I didn't obey your command to love others as you have loved me and, and your commandment to draw them unto you. I didn't do it one time, Jesus. You gave me life. You gave me health. You gave me food. You gave me relationships. You covered me. You blessed me. I was born because of your love, and yet I did nothing you asked. You think you're going to show up in his face? <laughs> and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful. You didn't do anything. Mm. He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Mm. That's one of the scariest lines in Scripture to me. Mm. And if Christians aren't the ones fighting tooth and nail to get it right, I think Billy Graham was right. 50% don't get it. And mm. they're sitting in pews every Sunday. Mm. It could be more than that. Mm. Yeah. And it, it's, it's easy as a Christian, it's easy to say, Jesus, I'm covered with the blood, and therefore, now I can kind of step back and, and, and do my own thing. And it's, re it's really, it's not in the Bible, it's not in the New Testament that that is the picture of the Christian life. And yet, oftentimes, um, that can be communicated about all sorts of different things. Mm -hmm. I think that, uh, I know I keep going back to Scripture, right? But hey, if we're going to talk, let's just talk the Bible, <laughs> That's right? right. Mm -hmm. James 2 19, another extremely scary verse. Mm. He's talking about faith and works, right? He literally says, the demons, you say you believe? Good. The demons believe and they tremble. Mm -hmm. But you, O oh son of man, how do you not understand that faith without works is dead? Mm. If you say you have faith, but you don't do anything that's faithful unto the king that gave you the faith through grace, as Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 say, you're given, by grace, you're given faith, right? You were saved by grace through faith, not of your works. That's not conflicting scriptures. That's saying, hey, God gave you the ability to believe, so the proof that you believe is what you do with your life. Mm -hmm. And if what you're doing in your life is more for you than for the, those who don't know him, mm. what a good word. This is important, folks. Yep. Uh, our witness to the world matters. That's right. And it matters that we seek to live out our faith in every area. Pastor, would you have, and I know we, we will post some more resources on the show notes, but before we close, are there, I mean, certainly the first place we need to be is in the Word. But um, in addition to being in the Word, do you have uh, a, a couple of resources that are some of the first ones you recommend or um, any any other thing that might help us in growth in this area? Yeah, I do, actually. And uh, I've got some friends who are working on books now. So if, if they keep rolling with us on social media, I'll post those when those cool. are released. Okay. 
COVID quarantine has allowed <laughs> some guys to get some writing <laughs> some time creativity in, right? yeah. and, uh-huh. uh, But some that are currently out there that I think would be great to to step into. I think a, a 101 level book that's short, easy, easy to read is a collection of his experiences in the church um, of working with churches through this issue. Is a book by a guy by the name of Brian Loritz. Mm, Brian yep. Loritz wrote a book. Uh, it's called Right Color, hmm. Wrong Culture. Hmm. And he just talks about the biases that are just so easily displayed today in mainstream churches. Mm. And he really just breaks out, you know, his experiences in multiple occasions and puts it into one kind of parabolistic, you know, story, mm. uh, which is really good and really just kind of exposes some things and ideals. He then has a follow-up called Insider Outsider. Mm. Uh, again, just a good beginning book. Um it just kind of opens your eyes to some things and just kind of has you take a look at what is what does it mean to be someone who's who's um, endorsing race as a division piece in our society. Mm. Jamar Tisby's book, The Color of Compromise, mm-hmm. it's a must read. Uh, mm-hmm. It's one that's just going to help you iron out some things. Um, Woke Church by Eric Mason. Um, there's there's a there's a few more. Um, that I've listed for you there. Just kind of walking through those is going to be helpful. And I, and I think it's going to be important that as you're looking at these books, you you don't go in. Take, for instance, Austin Channing Brown. She wrote a book. Mm-hmm. It's called I'm Still Here. Mm-hmm. It, it, I, I, I didn't get through the first two chapters without crying every couple pages. Mm-hmm. Just because what she's saying is so raw and so real. Uh, but it exposed so much. Um, and it helps you kind of paint the picture of what does it mean to not just be a person of color, but be a person of color who's a woman, but being a person of color who's a woman who's a Christian. Mm. All of that, the, the intersecting all of those things together, all of a sudden compounds you to be an individual that's like, you know, mm. and what comes along with that. So just some, just some good reads that I think would be helpful for someone just to paint the picture mm-hmm. um, and then debriefing what you read in a relational setting with someone who's mm-hmm. experiencing that. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Well, something we often like to ask, Pastor Stephen, just as we close, we like to ask our guests, so these are books that you've recommended, but what are you reading yourself? Oh, man. Uh, so the month of December, uh, I'll try to land the plane a little bit. Um, so I'm finishing my, my hopefully my last degree, and uh, so I've been reading more um, an editorial book that's mm. sermons of great preachers of the past, and just reading not only how they preach the gospel, but seeing how they use the context of the, their day to convey the word of God. Oh wow! Um, and so Dr. Michael Didway has a collection of sermons in a book. Uh, and it's called you know, the art of preaching, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of thick, so I'm, I look nerdy carrying that big old book around. But it's <laughs> I like election. it, brother. We're, I'm with we're you. We're totally cool with that. Oh yeah, and so I'll make sure I uh, bring it so you can see it. And I'll text you a picture of it too. Uh, but it's uh, it's just been good to not only look at the aspects of creating expository messages, but just how in depth they go with saying, "Hey, let me be light and fun and funny in this introduction." What I'm about to tell you is not funny. Hmm. What I'm about to tell you is so real, it's life and death. Like Proverbs 18.21 says, the power of life and death is in your tongue. And they just expose it. And they start off going 80 words a minute. 
by the end, they're 250 words a minute. And I can just mm. read it and I'm going, whew. Like I'm, mm. I wish they could have recorded the thunder, <laughs> but it's on paper. So, oh, wow. That sounds like a really <laughs> so that's, good one. Uh, so that's me. I'm, I'm a forever student, so I'm going mm. to always be reading something good. So when you write your book, Betsy, I'm looking forward. <laughs> oh, yeah. Me too. Don't hold your breath. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Pastor. We have been so blessed yes. by this conversation yes. as our previous one. We yes. thank you for your ministry. We thank you for your faithfulness to our Lord Jesus. Mm. Uh, you are in our prayers. Mm. And uh, thank you again for coming on and helping us uh, here at this church, helping mm -hmm. me and Betsy personally. Mm -hmm. And uh, Lord God, make us one as mm -hmm. you are one. Mm. May the aroma of Christ mm. be that which comes forth from us to this mm -hmm. watching world, mm -hmm. that the offense that we give would only be in the cross mm -hmm. and in nothing else. Amen. Amen. So thank you, sir. Amen. Thank you again. Amen. Betsy, tell our audience where they can find us. Okay, so if y'all still haven't found our Facebook group, come on and find us. We're Intersect Podcast. Also, we will post um, a list of those resources that Pastor Stephen mentioned. Our website is www.nepres.com slash podcast. So check it out. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.